Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. everyone, it's your host Faith and you're listening to Epic, Realm's action adventure channel. If you loved Gods and Lies and want more of Iris, Andy and their amazing world, because of course you do, I've got great news. There's a season two and we've got episode one queued up and ready to go right here, right now. And if you want more of season two, you can listen ad free by joining Realm Unlimited at realm.fm or Realm Plus on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy! The way I see it, there's an easy way and there's a hard way. I leaned across the table in the interrogation room. The easy way is you tell me where the money is and confess to stealing it in the first place and I'll see to it you don't do more than two years. You don't want to know what the hard way is. The satyr snorted and crossed one hairy goat leg over the other. Lady, I've chewed cut older than you. I know a bad deal when it's put in front of me. He bared his unsettlingly large goat's teeth in his smug grin. You can't touch me. We found hoofprints at the scene, Garrick. He shrugged. Hoofprints just mean it was a satyr. We're not all alike. I nodded pleasantly, and suspicion crept across his shaggy face with my apparent agreement. True, true. Every hoofprint is distinct. The ones we found had a crack in the left hoof, while the right one tilted to the right at a rather unusual angle. Perhaps this satyr had a limp. The distinctive one. I glanced down at Garrick's shaggy limbs, noting this slightly twisted right one. Hoofprints don't lie, I said, peeling the false innocence away from my voice to reveal the steel beneath. We already got you dead to rights, but if you play your cards right, I cut off at a rap on the door. The new novice stuck his head into the room before I could wave him off. Got a minute? The high priest needs you. It can wait. I had Garrick right where I wanted him, his cloven hooves rattling nervously against the floor. Father Edwin says it can't. Uh, wait. I mean, the novice added. Garrick withdrew into his shell, his smirk returning. 
Daddy's calling. I fought the urge to curl my hands into fists and chew out the novice in front of my suspect. It was against the goddess of justice's doctrines, but it was so tempting. I stood up slowly and pasted a confident smirk of my own on my face. Keep laughing, Garrick. This doesn't change anything. I left the smarmy little goat sweating in the Temple of Justice's interrogation room and followed the novice into the elevator. What did I tell you about interrupting me during an interrogation? I asked. The novice wouldn't meet my eye, choosing to pick at an imaginary piece of lint on his formal justice uniform instead. The high priest said it was important. If he thought it was so important, he could have come himself, I groused, but without any teeth behind it. It wasn't this newbie's fault that Father Edwin had chosen him as a human shield. I mean, messenger. I sent the novice on his way and stepped into the high priest's office without knocking. I certainly hope this is worth risking Garrick Browntail's testimony on the East Side robbery. I skidded to a halt as a water nymph wearing a barrel circlet rose up from an office chair to intercept me, her form encased in shining armor made of interlocking scales of ice. Her right hand melted, then hardened into a frozen spear. A chill ran up my back as behind me, why didn't I check, a second war nymph detached herself from the wall, her fingers extending into translucent daggers. The nymphs looked strangely familiar, but then again, it was hard for me to tell some nymphs apart. Their watery faces were hard to read. My hand went to the blessed oak at my hip. That won't be necessary, Father Edwin called from behind his desk. His voice sounded incongruously small and ineffectual against the two aggressive water spirits looming over me. But after exchanging a flat, watery glance between them, they backed off. What in the seven hells? I loosened my grip on my oak, but kept it at hand. What were water nymphs doing in Themia's temple? I can handle this, Father Edwin said. He couldn't quite bring himself to push past the first war nymph, so he sidled around her like a student circling past a teacher to avoid being late to class. Justix Thorough, there's been an... incident. One that requires your attention. He brandished his own blessed oak. It was gnarled and covered in runes, and it stretched to the size of a quarterstaff as I watched. This branch is carved from the Tree of Justice. Place your hands upon it, and be judged. Wait, what? They performed this gesture during trials, when sentencing criminals, or when investigating justices who had strayed beyond the bounds of their duties. Do you refuse the plea of justice? The high priest placed a noted emphasis on the words, not in a threatening way, more like a director reminding an actor of a forgotten line. Of course, I had neither the right nor a reason to refuse. I placed my hand upon the high priest's oak. It felt awkward beneath my grip, the balance skewed. Justix Iris Thorough, 
Did you assist Endymion Eriki in his escape from the Wailing Isle? Andy? What? No. Did you arrange his escape through a third party? No. My mind whirled back to the last time I'd seen Andy Eriki, the semi-reformed demigod who had helped me bring a sea goddess to justice. Were you made aware of his escape, or of any potential plans for escape? No. Six months ago, he'd helped me solve a murder case, but he'd defied the Sea Mother to do it, and had been dragged into the sea for punishment. I glanced at the war nymphs out of the corner of my eye. Now I knew why they looked so familiar. The one wearing the circlet was Leona, Right hand of the sea mother herself. She and her sisters had pulled him beneath the waves. Have you been in contact with Andy in any way for the last six months? No. But you requested contact. Several times, in fact. And every request was denied. By you, I didn't add. Every damn time. The goddess Blessed Oak remained quiet beneath my hand. I was telling the truth. Father Edwin sighed, and his oak shrank down to fit back into his holster. He angled his head at the war nymphs. There. Are you satisfied? No. Leona's expression didn't change, but she permitted her spear to melt back into a hand. We will not be satisfied until Endymion Eriki is recovered. The high priest returned to his desk and gestured for me to sit. I remained standing. I wasn't going to leave my back exposed to a pair of stab-happy nymphs. What's this about Andy escaping? I asked. And from where? I would have preferred to relate the news to you more professionally... But the Sea Mother's servants insisted. Due to the nature of your... connection with the demigod. I glared at the nymphs, but one gave me a blank stare in return, and Leona lifted her chin defiantly. Would you not have done the same, Justix, if our positions were reversed? Okay, so there were worse things than stab-happy nymphs. Stab-happy nymphs who happened to be right. Will you stab me if I refuse to answer? Play nice, Father Edwin chided. The Sea Mother has volunteered their services to this case. Andy's escape creates a load of problems that none of us wants to deal with. I turned back to the high priest. Then fill me in already. Andy's escaped from prison? How did that happen? At this point, we don't know. His absence was reported twelve hours ago and the Sea Mother is demanding an investigation. Themia has taken up the call. The gods want a human on this? Father Edwin leaned back in his seat, his gaze sliding toward me, then away. No, the gods want you on this. The oak test was just to satisfy the Sea Mother and her proxies that your priorities hadn't been compromised. They want me? Yes. Does this surprise you? You're the natural choice. You know him. You've worked with him. 
I miss him. And the Sea Mother holds you in high esteem for your assistance on the matter with the Tidal Goddess. I was sorely tempted to remind the High Priest that Andy had provided just as much assistance bringing Tillamon to justice, and look where that had gotten him. But something about Father Edwin's response struck me as off. And that's it? That's why you want me on this case? The high priest made as if to answer, glanced at my own blessed oak, and cleared his throat instead. Leona answered for him. And Dimion left a note before he fled. It simply said, Iris Thoro will know what to do. That explained the third degree from the nymphs. But what was Andy thinking? Did he want me to chase him? So what happens to him after I bring him back? I asked, assuming I can. I glanced at the nymphs again, standing sentry by the door. Leona lifted her chin. The sea mother extended a grace period of 24 hours. If Andimion can be recovered within that time, his mother will forego increasing his sentence. I felt my eyebrows lift in surprise. Members of the Pantheon didn't look kindly on defiance. 24 hours wasn't a lot of time, but it was more mercy than I'd expected from someone of the Sea Mother's power. But if Andy continued to anger the Pantheon, there's no telling what they'd do to him. Where do we start? Leona stepped forward. Where it all began. On the Wailing Isle. The rest happened surprisingly quickly. To preserve the privacy of the Wailing Isle's location, I was bound, blindfolded, and bundled by the nymphs onto what was either a very quiet speedboat or an extremely patient sea creature. I am going to kill Andy when I find him. I must have dozed off at some point, because I woke to the damp touch of a nymph's hand jostling my shoulder. We have arrived. I blinked my watering eyes against the sunset after Leona removed my blindfold. We were standing on a beach of soft, white sand. A line of paving stones marked a path leading into a lush jungle. I turned around. The ship we rode in on was nowhere to be found, sealing my suspicion that we'd ridden some sort of benevolent sea serpent to the Wailing Isle, and I'd missed it. I sent my sister on ahead to alert the guardians of this isle to our presence, Leona said. She undid the knots on my bindings with cool, watery fingers. And also so that we might have a chance to talk. About what? The nymph gave me a frank stare, her face smooth and dark, deceptively expressionless. I am worried about Andy. He had no reason to escape this place. Why not? I asked. Prisons aren't really designed to be pleasant. I suppose for humans, the Wailing Isle would be considered a prison, Leona said stiffly. But this place was conceived with protection in mind, along with, yes, confinement. Protection? Leona glanced over my shoulder at the rest of the beach, as if to make sure we were still alone. 
she lowered her voice. There are places where the Sea Mother sends unfortunates to be punished with unspeakable devices and torments. The Wailing Isle is not one of those places. She reserves this place for prisoners who are... inconvenient. Inconvenient. I wasn't sure whether to be relieved or infuriated. Why was Andy sent here in the first place? Prisoners of war, Leona clarified. Hostages, important witnesses, rebellious offspring. The purpose of the Isle isn't to make them suffer, but rather to keep them out of trouble. Andy definitely needed help on that score. That didn't sound so bad, but... Then why did Andy break out? Because he's a fool, Leona retorted. Her expression sobered. And I fear if we do not recover him within the time we have, he will be sent where fools are far less tolerated. Something about this didn't smell right. The last time we'd worked together, Andy was turning over a new leaf. He'd grown tired of being the Sea Mother's screw-up. It didn't make sense for him to risk her wrath by resisting what sounded like a slap on the wrist. So why... Then, what makes you think I'll have more luck finding him than you? A whirl of frost crawled up the nymph's body, and at first I worried I'd gone too far with the foremost servant of the Sea Mother. We already tried to find him, but the same wards that protect this isle from prying eyes make it difficult for us to track him. You've been trained to hunt the old way, without guile or enchantments. And, she rippled in hesitation, and Andy trusts you. Something in my chest constricted, and a part of me that I'd thought had long scabbed over cracked open. Just enough to bleed a little. Right, well, I guess we should start looking. Before the nymph could reply, she was interrupted by a crystalline pinging noise. Lifting a finger in the universal sign for, I have to take this, she removed a small oyster shell from her belt, popped it open, and brought it up to her ear. Closing it with a snap, she said, There's been some sort of mix-up with your clearance. Wait here. As if I could go anywhere else. This was an uncharted, hidden island prison. If the Sea Mother wanted to keep me here, even Themia herself would have a hard time extracting me. As Leona's figure disappeared into the jungle, water splashed up against my ankles. Yelping, I backed up out of the surf. Except I wasn't anywhere near the surf. The turquoise waters beat themselves into lacy foam several feet down the beach. Wetness slapped against my shins, and I whirled around and spotted a clear, circular puddle shivering where my last footprints had been. Then the puddle moved, rippling over the fine white sand like a round, transparent manta ray to splash gently at my boots. It darted back over the sand when I lifted my foot, but slithered back as soon as I lowered it. It reminded me impossibly, of a puppy trying
trying to get its owner's attention. Is a small child stuck in the well? I joked. Do you have something to show me, boy? The puddle bubbled merrily, then started rippling down the beach. I glanced back at the jungle path. Leona would be back any minute. We were supposed to figure out how Andy had found his way off the island. But maybe he'd never left the island. Andy, I whispered, are you doing this? In response, the puddle darted forward, then back, like a nod. When I started after it, the puddle streaked ahead of me in earnest, zipping along down the beach, only slowing down now and then to make sure I was keeping up. The white beach soon gave way to a rockier stretch of coastline, as bleak, craggy cliffs loomed above us. Up ahead, I could see where the beach surrendered entirely to the cave-ridden cliffs. You've got to be kidding me. No one on the island thought to look for caves? And how was I supposed to reach them without getting battered into a pulp? As if in answer to my question, the puddle zipped forward to join the greater body of water, and for one moment, the seas calmed their ceaseless churning. A faint voice emerged from the closest cave to the shore. Hurry, I can't hold this all day. I ran into the water, letting it rise up to my calves, my waist, my chest. I kicked off from the seafloor and swam toward the cave, diving under, then in, until there I was. I could feel the waters begin to stir and roil as I neared the entrance, the primal sea shaking itself free of its unnatural confinement. I was a decent swimmer, but I wasn't trained in waters like this. I spat out a mouthful of seawater and gasped for air before the water sucked me down. But something solid, strong, and warm grabbed me before the sea did. I could just make out a silvery, coiled tail and a bright, familiar grin before I was pulled into the cave. We broke the surface together. Me choking and spluttering, and him grinning that same old grin, as if we'd never been separated, as if the last six months of imprisonment hadn't happened. Hey, Iris, Andy said. Miss me? This episode of Epic is brought to you by Wild Grain. I want you to take a moment and imagine the smell of fresh-baked sourdough bread filling your house. Or maybe it's croissants, if that's more to your liking. Now, what if I told you that you could get this delicious experience without covering yourself in flour and without leaving your house? Well, you can if you order from Wild Grain. What's Wild Grain? Well, it is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box. You get sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and pastries that go from your freezer to your oven and ready to serve in 25 minutes or less. I just got my first box and it had three different sourdough loaves, biscuits, croissants, and two different kinds of pasta. I made the orange cranberry biscuits right away and I cannot tell you how wonderful my house smelled and they tasted even better. Scallops and Wild Grains Fresh Fettuccine is on the menu for this week and I plan to pair it with the olive oil ciabatta loaf. 
doesn't that sound so good? If you're a carb lover like me and you want good carbs, free of preservatives and artificial colors and flavors, then you'll want to get a subscription right away. And now you can fully customize your wild grain box. So you can choose any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box. Plus, free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com epic to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com epic. That's wildgrain.com E-P-I-C. Or you can use promo code EPIC at checkout. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Iris looked good. In the six months since I'd last seen her, she'd grown her dark hair long enough to tie it back in a stubby ponytail at the back of her neck. And had she put on muscle? The imagination could play tricks on someone who'd spend half a year weaving baskets and raking sand gardens. Then she cuffed me upside the head hard enough to loosen my hold on her and send sparks of light flickering across my vision. Yeah, she'd definitely bulked up. You twice damned, twice cursed idiot, she shouted. Thrashing out of my grip, she made a quick examination of the small, gloomy, half-flooded cave I'd been hiding in for the last 12 hours. She swam toward a small shelf of stone and pulled herself out of the water. Do you have any idea how much trouble you're in? I swam up to the shelf, but didn't join her. She deserved the high ground in this argument. I can explain. She let out a short, bitter bark of laughter that echoed brokenly off the uneven walls of the cave. (laughs) This ought to be good. Sure, Andy. Explain why you decided to fake out the Pantheon into thinking you've escaped. That's the thing about the fake out, I said. But staring at Iris, the words I had painstakingly rehearsed to convince her flew out of my head. She was glaring at me as if daring the god of thunderstorms to send a personalized bolt of lightning right between my eyes. Iris crossed her arms over her chest. Tell me you didn't do all this just to see me. Six months ago, we'd shared a moment, a real one. I'd spent the better part of my sentence on this island thinking about what I'd do if I got a chance to act on that moment. But Iris was acting like nothing had happened at all. I mean, a lot can happen in six months. Maybe she had a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or a whatever friend. Maybe she'd enjoyed six months of peace and quiet. No, but it's kind of a nice bonus, don't you think? 
I said, a little desperately. Thirty seconds into our reunion, and I was already screwing it up. I missed you, Iris. Iris pressed her lips into a flat line, but her gaze softened. Seven hells, Andy. You can't afford to get in any more trouble. You didn't have to pretend to escape. Yeah, well, I'm not pretending, I said. But I needed an excuse to get you here. I need your help. For what? To get out of here for real. I'm sorry. This cave has lousy acoustics. Did you say you want me to help you escape? Right. The plan. I couldn't let my feelings get in the way of the bigger picture. The much bigger picture. I'd rehearsed this so many times. I knew what I was supposed to say. But for some reason, seeing Iris here, in the damp and angry flesh, through all the words I'd stacked neatly in my brain into random order. I'm not supposed to be here, I forced out awkwardly. Iris looked away. I know you got a raw deal, but this place is a lot nicer than a lot of human prisons. That's not the point. Leona says it's nicer than a lot of Pantheon prisons, too, she continued. The Sea Mother's given you a 24-hour grace period. If we get you back before then, you won't be sent somewhere worse. She was shivering, I noticed. Soaked through. While I was in my element, my scales gleaming, my tail free for the first time in half a year. This was my one chance. I had to make her understand. I coiled my tail underneath me. No, I mean I'm here for something I didn't do, I said at last. I was set up. That's why I hid out here. That's why I wrote that note. I figured they'd eventually rope you into helping, or you'd find a way to come here yourself. And hey, it worked! Now we can get out of here. Iris crouched down to get closer to my level, close enough for me to see the water droplets bunched in her eyelashes. You know I can't do that, right? She said it so calmly, as if I'd asked the impossible of her. As if I hadn't witnessed her do the impossible several times over, bringing justice to strangers she'd never even met. But for me, this was impossible? I'm being serious. So am I. Your mother's helpers gave me a rough version of the third degree just on the suspicion that I'd helped you escape. Believe me, that killed any possible interest in trying out the real thing. Take the slap on the wrist and wait it out. I flexed my tail, sending a wave of water over the lip to soak through Iris's boots. Wait it out? Iris, I'm here for murder. The word murder reverberated loudly off the cave walls, and I flinched as if I'd launched a live projectile. Iris paled. What? I didn't do it, I said quickly. Murder. Believe me, I was as surprised as you are. How exactly? She drew out every word, as if asking a particularly difficult decision of a child. Does a murder charge come as a surprise? Transparency isn't a big priority in the Pantheon, and gods don't hold trials for every little transgression, just when their actions affect humans, or when the three mothers want to make an example of someone. When Mother cut me off, she didn't tell me why. She just said... You know what you did. And I thought I did. I've done a lot.
That sparked a laugh out of Iris, who swallowed it back and looked away as if she'd accidentally burped in front of her patron goddess. I took that as a hint to shift closer. I hauled myself out of the water, flexing my tail into a pair of lightly scaled legs. When I first got here, I was prepared to do my time. Ask anyone. I planned to prove myself, behave myself, so they'd let me out early. But a few weeks ago, we got some new inmates with the latest godly gossip, and the biggest story going around was how the Sea Mother's demi-son had killed a member of her court. Who? I tensed. I couldn't help it. His name was Argamnos, one of my mother's messengers. He's... he was a god. Iris gave a strangled cough. <clears throat> You're accused of killing a god? A minor one, I felt compelled to point out. But you get it now, right? I wasn't put here for a taste of R&R &R until the heat dies down. I might be here forever. Maybe longer. Jury was still out on what my natural life expectancy was. I reached out. Iris clamped her hand iron tight around my wrist, but not before I brushed my fingers against the oak branch strapped to her hip. I didn't do it. I'm not a murderer. The oak stayed silent. Uncertainty wavered in Iris's eyes. Themia blessed every oak with the ability to detect lies in humans. However, its reactions to demigods were as unpredictable as demis themselves. I knew the gesture didn't necessarily prove me innocent, but I hoped, hoped Iris knew me enough and trusted me enough to at least take it as a gesture of good faith. After an impossibly long, stretched-out instant, Iris sighed. I'll look into it. A sick feeling rose up in my throat. You'll look into it? I'll investigate your case, I will. But I can't do that until I officially return you to the Pantheon's custody. This is the Sea Mother's prison, Andy. How am I supposed to break you out? But I planned for that, I said. I had to clean out the library while I was here, and I think I found something that can... Her eyes brimmed over with an awful kind of fatal sympathy. The kind veterinarians give you when they recommend putting your pet down for its own good. We've skirted some pretty tight loopholes in the past, but there's no loophole that'll let me break you out of a Pantheon prison. It's out of my hands. You're not listening to me. I... Justix Thoreau? Justix Thoreau! A chill settled onto my body that had nothing to do with being naked in a waterlogged cave. I recognized Leona's voice. We're here! Iris shouted. She took my hand in hers. It was so warm, her hand. All I wanted to do was hold it and never let go. But she was letting me go. Sorry, Andy. I'll do what I can, I promise. She left me no choice. I brought a hand to my mouth and tore at my thumbnail until it started to bleed. Then I grabbed Iris's hand and bit down hard. Ouch! What the hells? Before she could react, I pressed my blood to hers, the practiced words tumbling over themselves to get out of my mouth. I cry out for justice and hear nothing. I search for justice and see nothing. My name remains stained with dishonor, my blood uncleansed by truth. By blood and oath, I invoke the right of old justice. By blood and oath, I choose my champion. Bien, 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 I'd practiced the words over and over since discovering them in one of the outdated tomes in the prison library. 
I'd made a mess of everything else I'd rehearsed today, but this one time, every word I'd poured over came out perfectly. Time stopped. The echo of the last word reverberated so loudly in my head, I thought I was still muttering it out loud. Iris and the rest of the world sank into stillness. In a glimpse outside the cave, I saw the ocean's waves curled in on themselves, frozen into talons ready to strike. Then a hole opened up beneath us and swallowed us down, down, down. Reality collapsed around us for one sharp, bone-cold minute before expanding outward so quickly the return of air and noise and time felt like a physical slap. We tumbled to the ground. The cave was gone. The sea had vanished. I felt wood beneath my feet, glistening dully with wax and lemon polish. The air smelled of freshly cut wood, rich incense, and the dank, musky smell of wet dog. We'd landed in front of an altar carved out of the trunk of an enormous thousand-year oak. What the hells? How? What? Iris rolled to her feet, her branch in hand, body coiled in readiness, but her confusion melted into stunned, disbelieving recognition. We're... we're in Themia's temple. In what looked like the holiest sanctuary of it, deep within the building. There were no windows. The room was lit on either side with braziers hanging from the ceiling. Holy shit, I said without thinking. It worked! Iris rounded on me. What did you do? Suddenly, flames in the braziers flared ceiling high, sun bright, forcing my eyes shut. A moment later, they banked themselves. When I opened my watery light-spangled eyes, Themia stood before us, dressed in her hunter's garb, her longbow dangling from one brown-skinned hand. Iris dropped one knee immediately, and the goddess of justice laid a comforting hand upon the crown of her head. But the goddess wasn't looking at her. She was looking at me, and she did not look pleased. And Demian Ariki, what an unexpected displeasure. And once again, I was knocked speechless. I really should have invested in flashcards or something. With a snort of disgust, Themia seized my bloodied hand, nearly lifting me off my feet. Her ivy-green eyes narrowed in suspicion. You had half a chance of this not working, but the human blood in your veins, it calls to me. I cannot refuse it. I went limp in relief, not without pain, as she continued to hold my hand in hers several feet off the ground. My goddess, Iris began, I didn't know what he was going to do. I mean, Andy, what did you do? The goddess answered for me, as if I wasn't even in the room. The demigod has invoked the right of old justice, and he named you as his champion. What? But that's... It was unusual to see Iris completely out of her element. She didn't take it well, her face folding into a confused scowl. The goddess set me back down on the floor. I rubbed at my aching shoulder. You invoked your human right to the old ways on a pantheon matter. You play a dangerous game when you gamble on both sides of your blood. Where's the fun without a little risk? I quipped. The joke shriveled in the face of the goddess's imposing disapproval. Look, I'm being punished for something I didn't do. Shouldn't that matter to you? 
It no longer matters what I think. You've invoked powers more ancient and terrible than I. They're the ones you should be worried about. By the power of the old justice, you are granted three sunrises to prove your innocence. Should you succeed, your honor shall be restored. Her gaze flickered toward Iris. Should you fail, the old justice shall have you. The back of my neck prickled at the sound of those words, but I fought to keep it off my face. Three days. It was better than nothing. Having accepted my right, Themia walked back into her oak, the bark shifting aside for her like a theater's curtain. How? Iris choked back her words, considered them, then spoke them carefully, each one in perfect order. Do you have any idea what you just did? I showed Iris my hand. The wound on my thumbnail now glowed a mossy green. It matched the glowing line of tooth marks on Iris's own palm. I told you I had a plan. Back on the Wailing Isle, they put me to work reorganizing their library of records. That's where I heard of the right of old justice. Smart, huh? I reached out to her, but she stepped back, her gaze dark and hard as two river stones. And what did your research tell you the old justice is? Maybe research is a strong word but I knew it would give me a chance to clear my name. Three days isn't a lot, but it's better than nothing, especially with the best Justics and Nexos helping me out. Iris didn't even react to the compliment. Instead, she looked scared. What? Andy, the old Justice is what existed before Themia came into her aspect. Before trials, before evidence, back when people proved their innocence in combat and the losing criminals were fed to the Grimmers. You gave yourself three days, but if you can't solve it in three days, you don't go back to prison. The Grimmers get you. Her facade of bravery cracked. And me, as your champion. If I thought being sucked bodily into Themia's temple was bad, it was nothing compared to the icy void that opened up in my chest. But... But you didn't do anything wrong. Why do you think that right was discontinued in the first place? I started to shiver. I looked down. I was still completely naked from my attempted prison break. Prison. If we didn't prove who framed me, we'd go somewhere worse than prison. We. Iris. I didn't know. You have to believe me. I promise. She waved off my excuses. First off... We need to get you some clothes, and then we need a game plan. Relief flooded through me. Thank you, thank you. You have no idea. No. Iris glared at me, her eyes hard and empty. I couldn't see anything behind them. Don't thank me. Don't apologize. And don't think this makes anything better. We literally do not have time to get into it. We have three sunrises to solve a murder. Everything else can happen after. Gods and Lies is created and written by Elizabeth Vale, starring Carrie Height and Sarah Mallow Christensen. Produced by Marco Palmieri and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music are by Amanda Rose Smith. Cover art by Lisa Starl. 
Gods and Lies is created and written by Elizabeth Vale, starring Carrie Height and Sarah Mallow Christensen. Produced by Marco Palmieri and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music are by Amanda Rose Smith. Cover art by Heather Mason. You're listening to Epic, Gods and Lies. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Epic is produced by Nicole Kreuter and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Devin Shepard. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Hosted by Faith McQuinn. Audio editing and original theme by Sam Bagala. Original cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.